0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. The book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal.
1: Everyone, would you join me as we continue to worship as we pray? Holy God, Word made flesh, would you let us come to your Word opened up to be surprised by you this morning? Would you silence our agendas, banish our assumptions? cast out our casual detachment but you confound our expectations clear away the cobwebs from our ears and penetrate the corners of our hearts with your word we know that you can and we pray that you will and we wait with great anticipation through jesus christ our lord we pray amen Not sure if you have heard of a name by the name of William Borden. He will, for the few who know him, be remembered as a follower of Christ. Now, he could be remembered for many different things. Um, he could have been described as a multimillionaire, he could have been described as an Ivy League graduate, but to those who know him, Remember him as a follower of Christ. William was born in the late 1800s. He was to be the heir of a family fortune. The dairy company might have seen a carton or two at a grocery store still today. Um, uh, he left his millions and followed the call to Jesus of Jesus to reach the unreached Muslim people group in his days. Upon his graduation from high school, like many here who are looking forward to graduation and heading out to college, um, William was sent around the world for a tour. Um, as he traveled through Europe, Asia, and Middle East, God began to work in his heart and eventually called him to reach out to the lost people who had never heard the gospel. And during his trip, he wrote a letter to his parents saying he's giving his life to the mission field. And in his Bible, he wrote these two words in the margin, no reserves, no reserves. If you were to visit Cairo, and maybe one day I too will visit, um, people tell me that you can see two graves Um, One grave will be that of William Borden, um, this missionary who died at the tender age of 25. Giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars back in those days. And these are, end of the inscription, these words remain. Apart from faith in Christ there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ for this man, there is no explanation for such a life. And not too far away is another grave, grave of a young boy king you probably have studied in your history class by the name of Tutankhamun, who was only 17 years old when he died. And in his tomb was covered with gold and more gold. You see, in, um, you probably remember from your history class in an ancient Egyptian belief, you are to take your earthly treasure to your next life. But those earthly riches still remain there thousands of years after his death. if we believe in Jesus and his words, as we read again today, and these are the passages Pastor Eugene preached way back, if we truly believe in his words and what he is saying about eternity, about true treasures in heaven, then we see William as the one who is indeed triumphant in life because he sent his treasures ahead instead of, like Tutankhamun. And people of that age who held on to it, not knowing that you don't take anything when you die. Many Christians dread the thought of leaving this world, especially those of us who live in North America, where we have a lot of things. If you have a lot of treasures here on earth, then dying means losing our possessions But if we truly focus, and if we're truly treasuring up things in heaven, then death is something that we ought to look forward to. But I must confess, and perhaps some of you resonate with me, that I am also a creature of my time, victim of all the countless impressions of advertisement and things that I see with my eyes, and I struggle, and as an old wise Christian once said, worldly ambition has a strong fascination for us, and the spell of materialism is very hard to break. I'm especially reminded in in the past decade or so of moving from a single room to double room to three room, to see all these boxes that we accumulated as we moved. And I have to confess, you know, on the last time we moved to our current place, the movers were complaining to me. It's like, why do you have so many boxes? What are these? And I'm like, oh, they're mostly mine. <laughs> and they're mostly books. I have to confess, I've, I've hoarded a lot of books in my life. and. I'm working really hard not to buy any more books because clearly most of those books are still in boxes now after having moved five years ago. Maybe you're not hoarding boxes of books, but perhaps we're all collecting something because it's making us feel a little more secure, a little more happy, at least for that time, when in fact it's just... Piled away, collecting dust. Today's passage is a passage that Pastor Eugene preached before, and we'll just kind of go back today and next Sunday, kind of slowing down and just going a little deeper. And if you remember, the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus preached in front of masses, but he was directing to disciples, disciples who were focused on following him. And he's saying, he's giving this sermon to them. And it's in the context where Jesus is teaching again and again your righteousness has to surpass that of the religious leaders of today. Your righteousness has to be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. And a few verses after, in this chapter, after Jesus talks about not worrying, knowing that God the Father is going to provide, what does he say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Today's passage, verses 19, on to 24, come right after, logically, verses 1 through 18. And if you remember what happened in verses 1 through 18, Jesus was teaching about right spiritual spirituality. How do you pray? How do you give? How do you fast? Don't do it in a way that you get your reward now. Don't pray so people see you and say, wow, he's religious. Oh, she's religious. Don't give in a way that people see you and, wow, he's generous. She's generous. Don't fast in a way so that people can see, wow, he takes his spirituality serious. He's fasting. Kudos to him. You know what? If we do that, we have already received our reward. What does Jesus say? Don't do such a thing. Live differently. If you're going to pray, pray privately. If you're going to give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you fast, you know what? Just cover yourself up so that no one knows because you know what? Heavenly Father will see you praying, fasting, and giving, and then he will give you the reward later. Don't get the reward now. Live in such a way that you get the reward later. It's about knowing what's truly important and living for eternity. And here, as we look at the passage, we're challenged to think about, do we live for our earthly reward now or heavenly future eternal reward later? if we examine the way we spend our money, our time, our energy, all the energy we spend, where are we putting our treasure? Is it on earth now where we are reaping the reward or are we depositing it for eternity? Verses 19 through 24 that we'll be looking, today we'll be just looking at the first three verses, 19 through 21, next week, the remaining, it's really about wealth. And verses 25 to 34, we're not going to go into that, but that's really about worrying. If the next two sermons about hoarding and luxury and wealth, the remaining chapter is really about the view of biblical necessity, trusting that God's going to provide you with what you need. You see, back in Jesus' time, the Pharisees had this mindset they they thought that if you are rich it's because you are holy it was god's way of blessing you so when jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into kingdom they're like shocked disturbed what no no that can't be right because if you are righteous if you are seeking god's way god's going to bless you materially financially They thought of it as a divine approval. Money was blessing from God. That was their whole system. And it probably sounds like some religious system that you have heard today that still goes around, that talks about wealth and prosperity. Where did the Pharisees get this? Probably... Going back to Deuteronomy 28, as the Israelites are coming back from the slavery and they're heading to um, the promised land, God promises a lot of material blessing. And this is what he says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 28 And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God, will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. He's saying, if you do what I say, then these blessings will come. And continuing in verse 3 through 5, this is what God says. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall... Be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. So there's this clear relationship of material blessing, physical, tangible, visible things that you can see, touch, if you obey. But conversely, when you fast forward in verses 15 through 19, the Lord says the opposite. If you disobey. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Or be careful to do all his commandments. And the statute that I command you today. Then all these Curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground, the increase of the herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed shall you be when you go out. It's the exact opposite. Old Testament view of money and wealth. However, it's not just from those passages. Sure, there are clearly, like what we see today, just read from Deuteronomy, favorable passage on wealth as a sign of God's blessing. But there are other passages, especially when you look at Proverbs 2, that looks richest quite critically. For example, um, Proverbs 30, verses 8 through 9, says, remove far from me falsehood and lying Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Bible speaks against wealth in the way if you exploit others and Amos. And by the time we come to Matthew. When you look at and listen to what Jesus says about wealth, he doesn't have this kind of a categorical rejection of wealth. It's really about how you use it for God and his kingdom and his church. But there are still two critiques on wealth and money. And the first one has to do with, again, if you're using wealth-associated oppression and insensitivity. And the second part, as we come today, has to do with how wealth and money can become a threat to our faith and discipleship. Those are real things that Jesus speaks again and again and again. And Pharisees were the very ones who were kind of lovers of money, as Scripture said in Luke 16, verse 14. They were covetous. Remember, when you go back to the Old Testament, out of the Ten Commandments, there are two that explicitly target against materialism. You shall not steal, that's not yours, that someone else owns and possesses. You shall not covet. But these are the very things that religious leaders of Jesus' day had. They had love for money, love for covetousness. And this is the backdrop of Jesus' teaching. Because remember, our righteousness as disciples has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and religious leaders. And we need a proper biblical view of money and wealth instead of one little part with the negation of all the rest. Jesus talks about money a lot. Most pastors don't talk about money a lot, but you know what? Jesus talked about money 109 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus talked about money 57 times in the Gospel of Mark, 94 times in the Gospel of Luke, 88 times in the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about money pretty much more than anything else. It is something that we as people are hard of hearing. So we come to verse 19 when Jesus is saying, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's talking in this context. He's preaching in this context where people are thinking believing and living this way as their expectation. It's a notable characteristic for all human societies, whether you are African uh, pygmies who carry their backpack with everything they own to our day and age where we collect boxes of books to boxes of our trinkets that we love, that we collect as our whatever status that we want to show people. Back in the old days, People measure with their livestocks of precious metals. Now, with the money economy, it's about acquisition of financial assets, and we show what we own. I think most of the Instagram tags attest to that. And here, Jesus is saying, Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. Um, and he's talking about continually doing it. Don't keep on storing up treasures. Um, Actually, the word, the verb for treasuring, um, I think only comes up three times, this verb in the New Testament, comes up twice in Matthew and once in Luke. If you fast forward to Luke uh, chapter 12, similar verses come up, a little different, but um, this verb is used, this treasuring, storing up, it comes up in the context of this man who is basically hoarding, he's saving up grain after grain and he has so much he's thinking oh man oh i have so much i just i need a bigger barn i'm gonna have to break this down and build a bigger one but he didn't know that that was gonna be his last day and the lord calls him a fool he's hoarding not to use but for himself he's he doesn't recognize that god has blessed him he doesn't he's not appreciative and is sharing the blessings to those in need he's just storing up hoarding up for himself And that same verb is used here. And in Luke's passage right after, it kind of parallels the Matthew passage that we are looking through right now. God calls this man a fool because he doesn't recognize his mortality and that he can't take anything with him when he dies. Back in the old days, The main ways that they would store up treasure would be in fine garments, precious metal, grain, and etc. If you have so much garment that moth is eating it means you're not using it. The rusting part can also refer to corroding or just it. usually refers to metal corroding, expensive, precious metal corroding, but it could also mean just um, corroding of grain that's not used. It probably leans toward metal, but it could also include, just like that man who's hoarding up so much grain that he has not enough space and he needs to build a bigger barn. And if none of the natural ways of corrosion or decay affects to take away or dispossess you, then you have the real possibility of thieves breaking in. And this language of digging. Back in those days, these are made of mud bricks, and a thief really wanted to. They could dig through. They can break in by digging a hole through the walls and steal what you have already amassed. It could all be lost. And all earthly possession, we know, one day, will perish. It'll be gone forever. So does that mean we we don't do anything financially? Um, Providing for our family, giving to the poor, giving to the Lord, saving wisely to steward well. These are things actually the Bible speaks of, things that you're actively managing. But God is indeed against us stockpiling, hoarding. That's not being used. You might think, well, Jesus told that rich young ruler to give everything he possessed. It's a radical, radical call. But You know that he's the only one that Jesus called to give up everything. People like Zacchaeus gave half his possession. And if you remember, Jesus frequented Mary and Martha's place, a home. He enjoyed that home. He enjoyed the food. He doesn't call everyone to give everything. The reason why that rich young man was called to give everything was because for him, his possession was the thing that held him back from following Jesus. God never condemns possessions in and of itself. In fact, just to go back to the book of Proverbs, God really does encourage us to save wisely like an ant that... Works hard and save for the fall. And just to go back, you know, the women were one of the first gospel patrons. If you look at, if you read through the gospel, how were the disciples' ministry funded? These women supported them financially. They clearly didn't work, right? For the three years of ministry of wandering around, that can't happen unless there are people like certain women who supported them financially to do the work. So God's not against. Money and wealth in itself, really above all, is how are we to manage it? That's what he's interested in. In Proverbs 14, 23, um, God speaks about, you know, <clears throat> work hard. If you want to be rich, uh, work hard. If you want to be poor, it says talk. I mean, it's an extreme way of speaking, but um, you got to work hard. Um, in Proverbs twenty-one twenty, 20, it reads, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man, spends it all. An average American, more than three quarters of us, are living paycheck to paycheck because we spend it all. And most of us who spend it all can't even give it to God or godly causes because we are spending more than we earn anyway. And New Testament, in Romans 12, says the same thing. Don't be slothful in business. And uh, a parallel verse in First Timothy 5 basically charges us we are to take care of our own, provide for our household, or we are worse than um, the, the infidel. But the key here is against covetousness, against hoarding. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with this thing called FIRE. Um, I think that this group is called FIRE. It stands for Financial Independence Retirement uh, Retire Early. Um, they're coming up with a movie. But this group of people are pretty extreme in that an average American doesn't even save 15 percent of their income for retirement, maybe single digit at most. Fire movement, you have people who are saving to seek that fire, financial independence, and retire early, at a rate of probably at least 40 percent, up to even 80 percent. So these people are trying to retire by within the next 10 years or less, in a way. While they are saying, I'm not going to be tied down to my work that I hate, while there is some, I guess, good in that, there's a clear danger because these people are literally just stockpiling early for the financial independence. Financial independence in and of itself might not be sin, but clearly For any one of us, as Jesus tells us here, if we stockpile and it's about us only, if we understand what God gives is for us to just simply raise our standard of living or give myself financial freedom, then we are like the Pharisees who are simply getting what we want now and making no investment for eternity, which really counts. Verse 20 says, but lay up. For yourselves, treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. It's an exact contrast. When we make deposits, when we make deposits in earth, it's high risk, natural risk, human risk of loss. But if you store up treasures in heaven, none of that is possible. And God will be the one who will reward. God is not against us making investments. Remember, look at the verse. Store up treasures. It's not that God is against us storing, but it's about storing in the right place. And you know what? Look at the next set of words for yourselves. God's not against our self-interest. God's calling us, you know what? Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing can take it for yourselves. But again, is it in the right place? Is it just a short-term, immediate return? Or is it about eternal, long-term return? First week of June, we'll be showing a movie, um, we'll be announcing it later on, called American Gospel. It goes through some of the uh, prosperity uh, gospel. I want to encourage you to come. We're going to show it before our members meeting, but um, it's an excellent movie, um, I encourage you to come join us if you haven't seen it. But Prosperity Gospel, essentially, this health and wealth gospel, um, talks about the immediacy only. God blesses you so that you can enjoy it. God blesses you so that you can enjoy it. But that's never an end itself. God gives us to enjoy, but fundamentally so that we can be a blessing to others. Never to simply increase our standard of living. And if we just focus on now, oh, God gave me so much, let me show the world that God has blessed me and just spend it on myself, then I have, then we have received the reward. There's nothing else for later. Remember the contrast that we've been seeing? If you pray this way, if you give this way, if you fast this way, you've gotten your reward. There's nothing else for you. If we're living in such a way where squander, we spend everything on ourselves and we're not thinking and investing in eternity, then you've gotten what you wanted. There is no heavenly reward. That's it. Question is, do we really believe that? Question is, do we really live that out? Because if we live that way, like the Pharisees did, we are essentially robbing ourselves from eternal reward just like the way they've been fasting praying and giving but what God promises are eternal rewards where moth cannot eat it, rust cannot corrode it, and thieves cannot break in this is one that is a sure guarantee with infinite return with infinite security in the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, the Kohelet, talks about vanity and vanity, all is vanity. He's not really saying essentially that you know, things are stupid in that sense or vain in that sense, but essentially saying things of this world, they don't last, they're temporal, they're like transient things that when you pass away, You can't take with. You may want to, like the king Tut did, but it's just going to sit and rot. Do we believe, do I believe, in the reward that Jesus is speaking of? Do we believe in the reward that Jesus is speaking of, that eternal reward? Jesus continues by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not just about the ultimate rewards, although ultimately that is what counts. But however, for our lifetime, things we treasure, things we're putting money, time, energy into, those things will govern your life and mine. There's nothing wrong with a beautiful house, great vacation, owning a company, a great company, um, seeking a promotion, seeking an office. Those things are not wrong or bad in and of themselves, but they're not they have no ultimate value in and of itself. Because at the end, we can't take any of that. So the question is, are we putting our time, energy, our time, talent, and treasure into things that ultimately will last? Or has something else grabbed my heart and my interest and my passion? God is consistently asking us, calling us to examine our deepest loves that we have because our hearts are like idol factories. That's what it naturally does. And that's why as Pastor Eugene preaches again and again and again, we've got to come back to the gospel because our hearts are naturally bent that way. We can only stand in one position, st- straight up, But there are millions of ways we fall because our hearts are idol factories that produces, seeks things more than the giver that enjoys now more than what he promises us. Where is the concentration and preoccupation in your life? What are you thinking about? What are you planning Where are you putting your energy? Where are you putting your money in? Because those are the things that will pull our hearts. Where we put our treasure, our hearts, you'll find it there. I mean, think about it. If you buy some stocks, then you're going to start looking, following those stocks. It's naturally what happens. If you support an orphan in India or in Africa through compassion, Or World Vision, you're going to remember the people you support. And you're going to think about them. You're going to pray for them. Where we put our treasure, where we put our money in, our hearts will follow. You want a bigger heart? You want God to increase in your bigger heart for his kingdom and his righteousness? Start putting money in things that last for eternity. And you will be, your heart will Continue to grow in those places. If you work with a financial planner, and every good steward in some way should be working with a good financial planner, hopefully with a fiduciary, not just a salesperson, but anyway. And they'll tell you um, to, instead of just thinking about your next three months, six months, or three years, hey, you got to think like 20, 30, 40 years from now. You gotta think about compound interest. Think of long term. Don't put this in and think you're gonna take it out later. And rightly, you know, most of us, you know, I think now we we live to age like 80 and 90. And that's a wise thing, that's a prudent thing. That's what Proverbs would talk about in many ways. However, let me ask you to think differently. Let's say we were living way, way back during the Civil War time. And let's say you have amassed quite a lot of confederate currency. You've done well and you have accumulated a lot of confederate currency, but you also knew or kn- that the North was going to win. So if you were smart, what would you do with all that confederate currency, knowing that in a matter of weeks or months, the South is going to lose. Well, the prudent, the wise, the smart thing for you to do would be just to keep what you need to survive for the next couple of months while the war continues, but exchange the currency, the Confederate to the U.S. currency, because after the war is done, Confederate currency is going to be worthless. That is what a wise person would do, right? Well, we have perhaps a clearest direction from our Lord who gives us this absolute certainty about what's going to happen when end comes, whether when he returns. We can't take anything, and when we die, we can't take anything. And he tells us to send it forward to eternity. Where the investment strategy that Jesus is talking about is absolutely guaranteed. Rust can't eat it. Thieves can't break in. Nothing can. And he's saying, you know what? He's not, again, he's not against us taking care of our family, enjoying. But if we're hoarding, and if we're not making deposits into eternity, then we are living like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees, who are simply enjoying now and seeking no rewards in future when he returns. Matthew 6, 19 through 24 gives us this advice to live differently in the way we relate with our treasures and money. Jesus is telling us to transfer our funds from earth, which is indeed volatile, and it's never permanent, to heaven, which is totally dependable and backed up by our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. If you want a heart for Apple, you can buy a stock. If you want a heart for Google, you can buy a share. But if you want a heart for God and his kingdom and his righteousness, put your treasure and your money where God is at work. Because nothing can take that away. How are you doing today? If you were to examine the way you are relating with money, this doesn't have to be about hoarding in and of itself and amassing. I think most of us are not there anyway. But even looking at how we are spending money, are we just living for now? Or are we actually investing for his kingdom? My hope and prayer as we go deeper in next week is that we journey together because I am just as in this deep water as you guys. We are attacked every day. Question is, are we vigilant? Are we seeking to grow and mature as a disciple for heavenly reward? Would you join me as we pray?